Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, we are back, and today we're talking about the 2014 black comedy thriller from Astron 6, The Editor. Now, these are the same folks who made Manborg, which we discussed in episode 12. And honestly, if you want a light, funny movie, go listen to that episode. This one is completely different. It's got the same kind of attitude in production and stuff, but right. it's yeah, not emotional. It's this totally opposite movie. Yeah. Made on a budget of about $130,000 Canadian, which is about $101 US. The film is a pastiche or a kind of an homage to 1970s giallo films or spaghetti slashers. Yeah. They're bizarre. Yeah. And deliberately so. I like them, man. Especially at a point, there's like a checklist, you know, and, uh, they were kind of doing that stuff before us, the slasher thing. Right. And then we copied it, and then they started copying us, them copying it. And yeah. And it gets it down like a double dip flavor, and this movie captures that. Oh, perfectly. yeah. If you, ever, if you ever wondered where that line in Scream came from, and you know the one I'm talking about. We've traced the yeah. call, and it's coming from inside the house. This is where it came from. It's these kind of messed up movies. was shot on location in Winnipeg, Manitoba and Kenora, Ontario. Premiered at the 2015 Toronto International Film Festival and was released on home video and video on demand in September 2015. And has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 58%. And it's got some interesting reviews there. Mark Adams of Screen International called it a well-worked and occasionally well-sustained satire of the wonderfully sleazy Italian murder mystery melodramas. Dennis Harvey of Variety had a completely different opinion. He said even those who get the joke here may find it wearing thin after a while. Yeah. Those are both accurate. They're very accurate, yeah. yeah. Some of the parts, it's like, you don't even really know or have to know what the plot is. It's, they're doing like a bit, making fun of, you know, Jello movies. And then some of the parts is like, better be paying attention or this thing has no, you know, storyline to you whatsoever. Right. I, 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 like a bunch of skits and there's, there's kind of a story in there. Right. And, and but, if you if you are paying attention to background stuff, the killer is revealed three different times throughout the course of the movie. Yeah. But they still make you think it's somebody completely different. Yeah. This movie is 94 minutes long and takes four hours to watch. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally accurate. <laughs> it, it seems like it takes a long time to watch it because as soon as it, it builds up to a point, yeah, and yeah. you think we're, we're, we're definitely getting to a reveal we're getting to uh, a climax here and things are going to start to to wrap up and then it turns left and goes two towns over yeah and then you get then you get to that bit 
and stuff and it's like what happened to that you'll forget about that you'll be following it and then it'll call back to whatever the fuck you forgot about like two seconds ago exactly yeah that's yeah. still a thing you know and it's like oh man these guys um so this was written and directed by adam brooks matthew kennedy and connor sweeney these guys along with jeremy gillespie and stephen kostansky are astron six uh, which is a Canadian low-budget production company. They produced a handful of films that are super cheesy, including Manborg, which I mentioned earlier, and the 2020 release Psycho Gorman, which was actually released after they announced they were closing shop following the release of Divorce Dad. Yeah, I'm glad because I kind of like I like that movie. It's just a good movie. Yeah, I think we need to we need to cover that one at some point it's it's more of a movie than this is but like they they keep on getting better with everything plus i think uh yeah psycho gorman is like it's not the, the full crew right it's just a couple of guys it's kind of like these guys i don't know what they do for a living but they run a film production company as a hobby yeah one or two of them are like you know full full-fledged into this you know but they're like yeah the other one's gonna come and go right this they just work on each other's stuff and like support artists and shit. Yeah. Movie stars Adam Brooks as Ray Sisso. He, like I just said, he's a, an Astron 6 regular. Appeared in Psycho Gorman, Manborg, Father's Day, and Divorce Dad. He's a, an incredibly good artist and often posts a, a bunch of Astron 6 related artwork on Instagram. Also stars Paz de la Huerta as Josephine Jardine. And I don't know how they got her in this, honestly. She's best known for playing the burlesque dancer Lucy Danziger in the HBO series Boardwalk Empire. She was uh, Steve Buscemi's girlfriend for a while in that movie, uh, in yeah. that series. I love her. Yeah, I don't know. She, you know, she's kind of artsy chick. Yeah, she, she's a model. She hangs out with a bunch of artists, you know. But yeah, I love her and anything she's in. She also, oh yeah, definitely. She also appeared in the Cider House Rules, A Walk to Remember, and Enter the Void. We have Lawrence Harvey as Father Clark. That guy was awesome. Yeah, known for the Human Centipede two and three, he came back for that one. Frankenstein created bikers, my bloody banjo, and a whole bunch of low budget horror shorts that is one odd looking dude yeah he is he he just looks like a cartoon character sprung just to a, life. just a little round guy yeah man it's like the old Elmer fudd before it was Elmer fudd you know <laughs> he just looks like a, a saggy water balloon <laughs> that's that's pretty apt yeah yeah we have Samantha Hill as Bella. She's a Canadian scream queen. She appeared in the TV series Fear Itself and a 2014 film adaptation of Les Miserables. Yeah, so it's like, uh, it's got some talent in there. Yeah. Uh, Brent Donahue as Claudio. He is a TV character actor known for Bad Blood, The Kennedys After Camelot, Private Eyes, and The Other Kingdom. Got Connor Sweeney as Cal Konitz. You'll remember him as the Billy Idol inspired gladiator in Manborg. Yeah, I loved him in that. I love him. <laughs> he's a scene. He's a scene stiller. He's just great. Yeah, just a clown is all he is. 
it's got good timing instead of that. It's great. Right. Udo Cure as Dr. Cassini. Oh, man. This guy's creepy as hell. Oh, yeah. And he's been in everything. I mean, seriously. Yeah, he's been a very prolific character actor since 1966. He's German, so most of his work is in German films. He's done some voice acting in video games and animated series, including Command and Conquer Red Alert 2, The Batman, Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, and Beware the Batman. Yeah. Also, uh, that Andy Warhol Dracula. Yes. Where he goes, the blood of these whores are killing me. <laughs> Every time I see that scene used in something, like, like it's like an editor's joke. I'll just cut to it, you know, when they're talking about movies. And yeah. That thing is so funny. I laugh every time. They see it. <laughs> and finally, we got Tristan Risk as Veronica. She is a sideshow and burlesque performer, fire dancer, fire eater. And in the last 10 years, she has appeared in more than 50 horror shorts and B-movies, including, oh, yeah. including playing the role of zombie Amy Winehouse in Crazy Dracula Spring Break Weekend. Oh, man, that's my type of girl right there. That's awesome. She was also in Dracula, or Frankenstein Created Bikers. She did some voice acting in Aliens Ate My Homework. She appeared in Aliens Stole My Body, Amazon Hotbox. And she just loves underground and B-movies and plans to stay there. It's awesome. That is, um, I mean, we need more actors like her who... Love this genre and just want to work in that space. Yeah. Keeping the scene alive. So the movie opens up in a very smoky strip club with a slow-mo dancer and a group of men just staring, glassy-eyed. She does her little fire-eating bit. This is, this is Veronica, played by Tristan Risk. And so she does her little fire-eating bit. Then we cut to her walking down an alley afterward. She thinks she heard something behind her. One thing about this movie, it doesn't matter who it is or where the scene is set or when the scene is set. Everybody thinks they just heard something from off camera. Yeah. And it's really stylized, too. Uh, I mean, like the lighting and the saturation and stuff. Yeah. So everybody, I mean, I, I, I'm going to go on a limb. And it's, it's like one of the jokes on the things in the movie Everybody's like really pretentious and up their own ass. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, it's just funny. I, I I find it funny. A lot of people might think it's boring or something, but I just I like that kind of like because it's going for that that scene, you know, that right uh, exploitation Italian, very European type thing. Yeah. So yeah, everything's like turned up, you know, to eleven. Well, she decides it was nothing, and then she gets grabbed by an old man, and she kicks him in the balls and gets away as <laughs> he screams that he's going to kill her. In her apartment, she heads to the shower, and we see a shadow fall across the glass block door frame. I loved those glass block right around the door. That was a big thing in the 60s and a little bit in the 70s, too. Oh, hell yeah. That is, yeah, very, like, kind of like, Got that pink light going through it. It's like yeah. all art. So, yeah. Well, as she gets out of the shower, we see a man with an axe hiding in another room. She steps across the bedroom to close the window, and that's when she's grabbed from behind and injected in the neck with something. 
and we see a masked figure lay her down on the bed and explain that she shouldn't try to move because she can't move. There's a lot of that. I think it's uh, supposed to make fun of bad translations. Yeah. And I, there, there, there's a couple of movies I think they do that, like pieces or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. It's like just, oh man, it's like that still terror. But at the same time, yeah, there's like the, uh, the hacking, like kind of like uh, transatlantic kind of like accent these people like put on and shit. Right. Yeah. It's really funny as shit. Well, then this masked person places a spider on her and tells her that it is a deadly spider and it starts crawling up her upper naked body. The figure with the axe appears to be a woman and she brings the axe down right on her head and there is a splash of very obviously fake blood. Oh, yeah. Now, the fake blood is made to look like Nextel simulated blood that was manufactured and sold in 150-gallon lots by 3M Corporation. Yeah. All of the movies used this fake blood in the 1970s. You can especially see it in the Dirty Harry movies. And what's the matter with Helen? Gene Simmons used to use it on stage during Kiss concerts. It was used primarily because it wouldn't stain anything. It wouldn't stain clothes. It wouldn't stain fabric furniture. It would just wash right off like it was never there. The problem is with certain types of films, this blood looked like orange house paint. Yeah, it popped like really hot. Yeah. Uh, In person, it was realistic blood red. Oh, yeah. But the way these uh, Technicolor film and and other film techniques picked it up it was bright orange gross as hell too because uh. <laughs> that's one of the things that i have always wondered when i was real young and watching movies like dirty harry is i see this guy get shot or stabbed or something and they showed the blood on him but how am i supposed to be scared when the blood doesn't look like blood it looks orange it looks yeah. like tempera paint. Or like those old black and white movies like uh what was it, Blood Sucking Freaks. Yeah. And they yeah, and they colorize that. It's like, why they, is it one? I just don't get it. And it's like well, <laughs> with that's what they were working with and stuff. Yeah. Like a, a lot of uh Vincent Price seventies movies you get that blood. Right. You know. Yeah, for black and white movies it wasn't a big deal. They uh they said that um for Psycho to to make it look like blood going down the shower drain, they just use chocolate syrup because it's going to be black on film, whether it's blood red or or any other dark color. But for some reason, something in this fake blood, which looked amazingly real in person, just made it look terrible on film. Well, back to the movie, we see the editor and his assistant, Bella, it turns out everything we just saw was part of a film that they're cutting, that they're editing. The editor, Ray, has made a mistake caused by his wooden prosthetic fingers. And his assistant goes looking for the drop film, which requires her to stick her ass up in the air and shake it around. Yeah. <laughs> this film is incredibly misogynistic. Yeah, it, extremely. But yeah. at the same time, it's like that 70s macho. Thing. right yeah and very like european and stuff so you, you don't know because like you know swinging 60 
it, that kind of like thing. I mean, as long as you keep in mind that they're they're kind of poking fun at this stuff, it, it's a funny yeah. movie. As long we'll, as you're we'll, in uh, on the joke, as long as yeah, we'll, once you forget that you're also in on the joke, then it becomes a very insulting and offensive film. But as long as you remember you're in on this joke, it's kind of funny. We're gonna be like talking about weird shit happening in the movie, and you got to see it because it's like these guys are going so over the top. Oh yeah. If you didn't know, like, I mean, because we're just talking about it, you can't really get that really third dimension. But once you see how these people are acting, you're like, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's like, this is like a cartoon, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, everybody hams up every single. Well, Bella found the piece of film that she was looking for, and he tells her, why don't you go ahead and cut it in this time? And she doesn't want to because she's just a student, but he urges her to do it. So she does it. And he compliments her work, which causes her to blush. And we get a philosophical moment here where Ray tells her that what she sees on the screen is as close to living as they will ever come. So Ray is obviously not Happy's life. Oh, yeah. Next, we see Ray walking through the closed movie set when a guy with a cheap Halloween costume devil mask jumps out to scare him. This is Claudio. He's the star of the film that they're currently editing, and he's joined by his girlfriend, Veronica. They start making out right there in front of the editor, and as they head off, Claudio explains that, you know, I wasn't afraid. Ray is outside now. He's heading down an alley. We get lots of quick jumps to different locations in this movie. He stops again because he thinks he heard something behind him. And when he starts walking again, we see his young assistant, Bella, is kind of following. Ray arrives home and, arri and delivers one of the funniest lines in this movie. Honey, I am in our house. <laughs> <laughs> again, yeah. making fun of the bad translation. Or it's just like uh, Italian people talking like they're American. Right. I like <laughs> That's what friends are for. You know, it's like. They don't know where to emphasize in the sentence, but you get like right. just kind of messes of words. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, his wife hears this and announces that she can't hear him because she's shaving her legs. She's upset because he's late again. This is Josephine. She is a washed up actress who looks drunk all the time and is completely obsessed with Claudio. He asks what would happen if Claudio died, and that causes her to just uh, get hysterical. Oh, man, she, like, throws a bitch fit. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. She sure. would cry. She would cry and cry and cry and cry and cry. So maybe this is why Ray is so dissatisfied with his life. He's married to a woman who obviously wants somebody who isn't. Yeah. And she doesn't even try to hide it. Back at the studio, we see Claudio and Veronica watching uh, Claudio acting in this movie. Uh, in the film, Claudio and Cal have found the body of the murdered stripper. Claudio vows, here's another one of the great lines in this movie, and you'll hear it several times throughout the movie. He vows to catch the killer who killed her. Just the way, like, we're saying these things, but they, I don't, they can't see the joke. It's like just the way that they're acting, man. Oh, yeah. Cal Konitz is a terrible actor. So even giving the, given the stilted English, he still manages to deliver this in the most 
unbelievably horrible acting imaginable. Yeah, you're like, it'll keep on transferring from like other movies, you know? Right. And you don't know if you're watching the movie or if you're watching them watch a movie. And it gets just kind of surreal and just like, what the hell's going on? And yeah. it's just horrible, like cheesy 70s porno acting. And it's just like every, every line. <laughs> My God, you're kind of laughing. He's blurred out. Yeah. In real life, Claudio's girlfriend, Veronica, wants to make out during the movie. Claudio wants to watch himself. We know where Claudio, who Claudio's in love with, and it's probably not Veronica. Yeah. Next, we see Ray out on his balcony having a cigarette. Everybody is always smoking in this movie. Yeah, it's smoky as hell, the whole movie. It's almost French. Ray has taken off the, the prosthesis to reveal the stubby nubs of his fingers, and he starts talking to a cat about suicide. Back in the film, Claudio and Cal run at the mass killer, and Claudio goes to Jean-Claude Van Damme kick this killer's head and <laughs> kicks the killer's head right off. And oh, you God. can see the duct tape that was holding it and everything. Yeah, it's total like a mannequin. Yes. Like, just a second ago, it was like a chick with like a... Uh bad makeup and sunglasses and it's like a mannequin and the head just rolls off clean as can be it's funny as shit right and then acknowledge of course it's a mannequin <laughs> <laughs> claudio's girlfriend starts dancing naked on the table but claudio's trying to watch himself he's not interested in her then the projector messes up and damages the film Claudio is worried that the editor is going to be mad about this, but Veronica says the editor's pathetic, and Claudio slaps her. There's a lot of slapping women in there. If I learned anything in the 1960s and 1970s from watching movies and dramas on TV, it's that when a woman gets angry, you do one of two things. You either take her by the shoulders and shake her, or you slap her. Yeah. They used to also like splash with water. Yeah, sometimes, yeah. I found out in the 90s they hate all three of those. Right, right. <laughs> they also hate it when you follow up with the verbal command, get a hold of yourself. Oh, God. <laughs> it's just like that shit. Yeah. Surprising so, it balls. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Claudio immediately uh, apologizes, and Veronica... Well, just goes right back to kissing him because that's that's the way it works. <laughs> Meanwhile, Claudio thinks he heard a ghost. These old studios are haunted and he'll be damned if he lets himself see a ghost. So we head back to sexy time and a shadowy figure walks up behind Claudio and cuts his throat with a straight razor. A pretty cheesy effect. I, I liked it. They basically cut a rubber mask and, and let fake blood pour out of it but i liked it it was fun to watch yeah and plus it was like a first kill and like a trippy ass movie right uh, it, yeah it works it's pretty cool well then the shadowy figure goes after a screaming veronica and slices her up and, and once he gets done slicing her up slices up the movie screen too yeah why not yep we cut to bella who is waking ray up he has fallen asleep at the editing booth and can't remember coming back to the studio. And then Bella drops the coffee when she hears Marguerite screaming because Marguerite has found Veronica's corpse hanging from the rafters. 
and the fingers have been cut off the right hand. Yeah. Oh man, that shout of that chick screaming. Yeah. That right there is like the biggest love letter to this whole genre. Yeah. Because that like some straight out of that those movies. Yeah, and it is a visceral, just blood curdling scream. Yeah, and her mouth's like huge. It seems like she like unhinged her jaw and it, it looks like Suspiria or something, like something from that. It's totally <laughs> like Arjo what's that guy, that director guy? I I don't know. Argento? Yes. It's like Argento S, if that was a word. This was what that scene looked like. Uh, I mean, you just invented a word. We're gonna put by Jesse Stratton under that word um, and, and go for it. Yeah, I'm gonna look it up see if anyone's ever used that. But yeah, it just folks <laughs> that guy. Oh man, yeah, that guy. Next, we see a police detective investigating the or questioning the director Francesco Mancini about the murders. This is Inspector Peter Porphyry. He happens to be married to Marguerite, who found the bodies. Ray doesn't remember clearly. He's having a hard time lighting his cigarette with his wooden fingers as well. Porphyry tells him he needs time to catch the killer, and and they shouldn't trust each other until he does. Marguerite, while we're at this, is suffering from hysterical blindness because, as the doctor explains, a woman's eyes weren't meant to see such brutality. So she's gone blind. <laughs> yeah. Which, in, in like these movies, like there was always a blind person. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, there's like that blind guy in a the theater, and you're like, why is there a blind guy watching movie theater? <laughs> because an Italian movie. Yeah. Okay. I get it. That's it. They love killing blind people. Right. <clears throat> it's so weird. Well, Mancini wants Ray to re-edit the movie to make look make it look like Cal is the star. By the way, we also got a stand-in for Claudio, and it's a guy who kind of looks like him, and he's a lot taller and a lot more muscular. His name is Cesare, but he doesn't speak English, so they've got to recut it to make it look like Cal was doing all the talk. <laughs> There's like little jokes of like inside, like. Uh movie practices and shit because it's a movie about a film editor right and like if 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 you don't know it's i don't know it's kind of like being behind the scenes a little bit like this like behind the scene joke of oh man i hate when they do that but it's like yeah they do that a lot oh yeah it's just like when bella lugosi died during the filming of plan nine and so they just used the same clip of him walking out of the woods over and over again or they put a wig on that guy and just make him cover his face up because he looked kind of <laughs> a little bit also, they hand Ray. He hands Ray a Betamax cassette and says, "Look, we're shooting our next film on this, so you're gonna have to figure it out." And Ray oh, is man. completely confused by this newfangled technology. Yeah, we see Porphyry talking to the police chief. Marguerite happens to be the police chief's daughter, and he's going to demote Porphyry if his daughter is hurt during the making of this film. Better not tell him that she's gone blind then. <laughs> Next, we see a highly sexualized jazzercise class. Claudio and Cal rush in and grab one of the women, claiming she's a killer. She matches the description. Claudio bets $5,000 that she's wearing a mask, and then he rips her entire face off. I can't <laughs> tell you how many times I wanted to see it work out like that on Scooby-Doo. Oh, man. Yeah, doesn't this? It, it does. It's like... <laughs> it really does Scooby-Doo atmosphere. 
Like, I wanted to say that at the beginning. It's for, like, a dark-ass, like, 70 movies movie. Yeah. To me, I, it's just like watching, like, uh, Scooby-Doo episodes with, like, a head cold or something. Yeah, maybe you took a little too much Robitussin and started to watch Scooby-Doo. <laughs> it tastes right, but, yeah, it's really messed up. Like, it does have that kind of, like, uh, oh, who did it? It's this bad guy. No, it's this bad guy. But yeah, it just totally rips her face off. Rips her entire face off. And so you see her skull just screaming. And so Cal is suitably, or I guess uh, not Cal. That was uh, Claudio, is suitably embarrassed. So he just takes her face and tries to mush it back on, which surprisingly works. Yeah, it's just it's so great. I, I, I died laughing the first time I said I did too. I like did I started, too. It's great. Oh God! It was the funniest thing. Yeah, yeah. Like that over the top. Well, Mancini tells Inspector Porphyry that Ray was once in an asylum, and then Ray's wife comes down the stairs with a a knife behind her back and asks, "Is this what you wanted me to wear?" <laughs> then we cut to Ray in confession. He is. He feels like he's losing control. And the priest, the priest just wants to know what it's like being on a movie set. Yeah. He's just completely ignoring the fact that he's got a guy who is in the middle of uh, an emotional crisis here. What's it like being with the movie stars? Oh, God. That guy's <laughs> I too. Yeah. Him through that gated, like, little mesh. It's like, oh, man. What's Mel Gibson like? You know, it's like just oh god. Yeah, like exactly. Super fanboying, super fanboying fan it up to the max. Right. Cut to the gratuitous shower scene. You know, three women in the shower when Cesare shows up. The girls file out of the shower. Uh, turns out Cal is also there naked as well, and he compliments Cesare's acting, and then compliments his penis, and then he <laughs> leaves still naked. Yeah, it's the 70s. Well, Cesare goes in, gets his shower, but of course, he thinks he hears something. So he starts he starts creeping out of the shower, and when he gets to the door, somebody stabs him in the neck. Next, we see Ray in the editor bo- editing booth, and he sees on film Cesare being murdered. He's startled by Cal, who is very excited because now he gets to be a star since Sansari's dead. Uh, and once again, the fingers were cut off this victim. Inspector Porphyry questions why Ray is wearing the same clothes as yesterday. Ray explains that uh, I'm wearing these clothes because I'm the editor. Why are you wearing the same clothes you were wearing yesterday? And Porphyry says, I'm an inspector. I always wear the same thing, idiot. (laughs) Ray also has to explain about his nervous breakdown when he was perhaps the greatest editor the world had ever seen and how that was just too much stress for him. He was working on a film called The Mirror and the Guillotine about forbidden love between a man and a nun. Then he accepts a challenge to edit the world's longest film starring his wife, Josephine. But she gets dropped from the film and Ray works himself into a frenzy. And we see Ray cutting strips of film using a giant paper shear 
when he accidentally chops all of his fingers off of his right hand. Next, we see Bella in the editing booth. She thinks she sees something on a piece of film when Ray startles her, and she starts to tell him a story about helping her father in the projection booth, and that's when she knew she wanted to work in the film industry. Ray wants to see her student work to kind of distract her from that film that has Cesare being murdered on it. We'll cut real quick to Inspector Porphyry questioning Cal. Jasmine, who is Cal's girlfriend, used to be Porphyry's lover. And we get a flashback to Porphyry and Jasmine running through the forest. And she falls down and it's instantly raining. So he slaps her a few times, and then they have very weird mud sex. Yeah, man, that is very European. It ends with him howling like some kind of animal and just smearing mud all over his face. Yeah, it's just weird, man. Uh, <laughs> it's like supposed to be like, oh, yeah, it's like the swinging 70s and sexual liberation. And it's like, nah, y'all just weird. Blood they're people. just weird yeah they're, they're just dead. weird a woman butter and stuff and yeah oh god it's just the mustache yes i'm sorry they all have very bushy mustaches now i think adam brooks came by his norm naturally but some of those are probably stuck on oh yeah <laughs> this mustache. <laughs> well all this time Cal is putting stuff in the trunk of the car. He invites Inspector Porphyry to dinner as he loads a bunch of knives and a chainsaw into the trunk of his car. And when <laughs> he drives off, uh, Inspector Porphyry finds a straight razor on the ground. So he flags down Cal to return the straight razor to him. Nothing to see here. Just completely misses the, the big clue because... It was a straight razor that was at this studio that was used to kill Claudio and Veronica. Here's a straight razor. Oh, he must have just dropped that. I'll give it back to him. <laughs> oh, thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> back in the editing booth, Ray is complimenting Bella's student reel. He points out something that she missed, and so she, pan she freaks out and starts cutting her arm. Then she confesses that she has fallen in love with Ray. He's like Van Gogh with his wooden ear. What the hell are we watching, Jesse? <laughs> it's like people making fun of artsy fartsy people. Yeah. But doing it in, in the way that they do it makes them artsy fartsy. <laughs> she wants Ray to make her a woman. Yeah. He refuses and walks out with a roll of film outside the door. Inspector Porphyry's there who wants to know. What's going on in here? Inside the editing booth, Bella is on a mission to find the killer who killed Claudia. And Cesare. We cut to Ray at a restaurant with Josephine. They, she, wanted to, she wanted to have a nice date night. So Ray went out to dinner with it. But Ray is focused on work. So he's still wearing his shabby detective or his shabby editor clothes. And everybody in the restaurant is looking at them scornfully. Josephine decides that, you know what, I'm just going to be sick right here at the table. And she starts getting louder and louder. And that's when Inspector Porphyry appears out of nowhere, walks up and slaps Josephine a couple times and explains to Ray that he's been secretly tailing them 
but he couldn't stand this anymore. And if you're not going to be a man and slap your woman, I'll do it for you. Oh, God. <laughs> and uh, tells Ray that, you know, you need to be a man and start slapping, your, slapping her yourself. And maybe I'll slap you. Imagine that, a man slapping a man. Yeah. And he tells them to have a wonderful evening and leaves. Back home, Ray and Josephine go to bed, but Ray can't sleep. He looks around the room and sees a dark figure standing in the corner, but when he turns on the light, nobody's there. Next, we see Porphyry on a stakeout outside the hospital where Ray was committed for a time. He sneaks in through a window and opens the door. There's, it's one of, those, one of those hospitals with one great big open room and the walls are lined with beds. And everybody's laying there asleep until he opens this one door which makes this horrible, loud squealing sound. And when he looks around, everybody's sitting up in the beds staring at him. Yeah, that reminds me of an Italian zombie movie. Yeah. Uh, like everything, like uh, even like when he looks in the darkness and there's like just like these weird eyes, but like there's nothing there, but there is something there, you know? Yep. And the previous scene, like that's like the eyes without a face or whatever. It's just like everything's like pretty shit. It's super creepy. And this guy's never heard of a flashlight before, so he's using a Zippo for light. Uh, he's looking for Ray's file in the filing cabinet in this hospital, and it's in the drawer labeled A through CISO for Ray CISO. <laughs> God. That, I like those ones, but that's what I love about these guys. It's like shit like that. <laughs> Pulling that chick's face off. It's like just little genius things. They're to totally over the top. Yes. But like like super serious around it. These guys will never make a blockbuster film because honestly, I believe that's not what they enjoy doing. They enjoy making these inside joke, slapstick, low budgets. They got heart too, though. Like hella heart. Oh, absolutely. Well, his light goes out while he's looking for Ray's file and he thinks he hears voices. Of course he hears voices. When he gets his lighter lit, there's this creepy girl standing there saying, kiss me. Oh, man. So he does. And when she does, she just chomps down on his lower lip. That's when the doctor grabs her and injects her with a huge needle. I mean, <laughs> a comically large. It looks like a big turkey baster with a needle on the end of it. Yeah. And the doctor has scars on his lower lip, too. So apparently he has fallen for the kiss me thing, too. Yeah, and it's pseudo cure. <laughs> oh, man. That's funny as shit. Well, in the doctor's office, uh, of course, he offers Porphyry a cigarette because you can't talk to anybody without a cigarette. Not in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they discuss Ray. Ray almost killed his assistant, and we get a flashback to Ray's assistant at that time. It was a guy at that time. Ray has his back to the guy, and when he turns around, Ray has cut off his own fingers and has one of the severed fingers in his mouth. Then he grabs his assistant and shoves his head into the screen of the editing booth. This is when the doctor mentions Plato's cave. This was a story that Plato told about some folks who were about some prisoners who were chained to a wall. And the only thing they could see was a blank wall in front of them. And there was a fire behind them and they could see shadows that were cast on that wall from the firelight. And this was their whole world. But of course, it wasn't 
the real. It, it wasn't real. And it's a, basically a story about how the philosopher is able to see the true nature of the world in the way that most people can't. And Ray believed that the world we were living in wasn't real and that only the movies were actually real, that everybody in the world was just an actor in a movie. Yeah, I love that. And yeah. I, I that was a, that Shakespeare, you know. Right. Where actors merely just wait, you know, come on stage and shit. Well, Ray was signed out of the hospital by Umberto Fantori, who is apparently a famous movie maker, filmmaker, or actor. Uh, the doctor was quite taken with the man and framed the release form that had Fantori's autograph on it. <laughs> Porphyry wants to talk to Fantori, but unfortunately, he's been dead for many years. He also flips on a TV screen to show Inspector Porphyry a shot of Ray's former assistant, who is in a padded room with his whole head bandaged up. And Inspector Porphyry says, why, why is he wrapped up in bandages like that? And the doctor says, I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> so Porphyry leaves and closes the door, and we see behind the door is the biting girl. <laughs> and she says to the doctor, kiss me. And the doctor says, bite me. <laughs> right. So like from that right there. Yeah. This gets weird and weird. Yeah, this is where it starts to get weird. Yes, yeah, where like <laughs> kind of get an idea what's on, and then they're just going to keep on changing what you think's going on. Yeah. Back at the Porphyry home, apparently it is Inspector Porphyry's birthday, and his wife, who is now asleep on the bed, got him a grocery store birthday cake that reads, Happy Birthday Porphyry. His name's Peter, but apparently we're going to call him Porphyry. <laughs> <laughs> also, it has, when it shows the cake, it has in parentheses, kind of like when you're watching a foreign film and it'll say something in Japanese and then like parentheses, it says it in English. Yeah. But yeah that's, that definitely says porphyry. Who the hell's porphyry? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we find out that Marguerite has a new seeing eye dog named Ralphie and he starts barking at... Uh, at Inspector Porphyry, Cujo style. Oh, man, yeah. Classic Italian. Of course, you know, you have a blind person, you have to have a dog. Right. And, and if, you have and, a, have, if you have a dog, it's got to start barking out of nowhere at somebody and scare the hell out of them. Jump scare, yeah, out yep. the ass, right? And it's like, of course, it's a German Shepherd. I mean, right. they're scary, you know? Yep. Marguerite wants to know... Um, if he was working late to avoid her because she's blind, he says he still loves her. And then we get a really weird sex scene that starts with him smashing a wine bottle and cutting her with it, progresses to blindfolding the blind woman. The dog is watching this whole time while they're having sex. There's an autographed picture of Cal on the dresser, which really gets Inspector Porphyry going. And it ends with cake smashing. Yeah. I don't know. I'm going to go deep. Uh, all right. So, like, these two guys in this movie, uh, the cop and the editor, they both have, like, uh, sexual dysfunctions. The editor right. is uh, impotent. And then the, the cop, he's, like, a fetishist. 
And you start to get that at this point. Like, they, oh yeah, it's really well established and shit, and like little jokes and stuff. So yeah, it, but the, yeah, the way they present it, it's over the top. It's so fucking corny as shit. It's funny as fuck. Right back in the film, which now stars Cal. Cal is questioning a woman played by Marguerite. She's wearing sunglasses to hide her blind eyes. <laughs> and Cal wants to know where she was the night of the murder. Well, she was at home washing her hair and shaving her pussy. <laughs> <laughs> so Cal lifts her skirt and then says, yep, story checks out. <laughs> Cut to Ray with his face in his hands, just like I was when I watched that scene. Yeah. It's, 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 <laughs> it's bad. A doorbell rings and wakes up Inspector Porphyry. He goes to the door in his Speedos when there is nobody there. Meanwhile, Ralphie drags Marguerite to the kitchen and the door slams and locks her in. We see a gloved hand cover her mouth and push her head up against the door and hold it there at knife point. The Inspector Porphyry runs out to his front yard and gets an axe because who doesn't have an axe in their front yard? <laughs> and he starts chopping through the door while the gloved hands of the person hold, her, hold Marguerite's head against the door. He finally breaks through the door and he's going to take one more swing, but the killer grabs Marguerite's head and shoves it in front of the axe, causing Inspector Porphyry to kill his wife. Oh, my God. This gets him really upset. So he takes the axe and he chops the fingers off her right hand and then feeds them to her dog. Oh, my God. Yeah. So messed up. It is really bad. I mean, he he, I, I get what he's doing. He, he can't be the guy who killed his wife. So he's trying to make it look like a murder. Yeah. Well, Even this is. The, I go there and shit. But yeah, he's like, oh, what, uh, quickly cut the fingers off. You right. Know? Right. Well, about this time, Officer Giancarlo, another police officer who we've just seen for the very first time, bursts in and tells Peter to drop the axe. Well, uh, Peter turns things around really quickly and sends Giancarlo after the killer. But then he calls him back and says, here, take the axe. Oh, crap. Now you've got your fingerprints all over the murder weapon. And he immediately starts gaslighting this cop. Oh, man. Like. Classic Bugs Bunny style, too. Yeah. Pours him a drink and says, here, drink this. So he does. He's, Man, you probably don't even remember what happened as drunk as you are. <laughs> <laughs> you had a beer, too. I'm just holding my beer. A man holds it. <laughs> so he convinces Giancarlo that you need to lie for me in court and explain that Ray Sisso the editor killed my wife. Otherwise, they're going to think you did it because you're drunk and your fingerprints are on the murder weapon. <laughs> Back at the studio, Ray is being fired. Francesco Mancini thought it would be fun having a cripple around, but then he practically cut Cal out of the film. That was another running joke is, is Mancini always said, always mentioning that, uh, that, that Ray is a cripple. And, and that it's fun having a cripple around the set. But Francesco's got a new editor. It's Giancarlo the cop, except he's undercover now. <laughs> he asks Ray, <laughs> Francesco asks Ray, have, have you even seen a film by Einstein? 
he means Sergei Sergei Eisenstein, the Russian director who pioneered the montage. <laughs> but Cal goes, it's Einstein, Einstein. <laughs> In the editor booth, Ray tells Bella that he's been fired and he discovers that there are bloody clothes in his bag. It doesn't seem to surprise him much, though. He asks if anybody else has been in there. And before Bella can tell him, in walks Inspector Porphyry to confront Ray with the information that he got from Dr. Cassini. Then we see Ray arriving back at home. Josephine has left him a wrench and a note telling him to fix the plumbing. (laughs) She's also spent $500 on a Betamax VCR so she could watch the film that Ray left at the house. She's obsessed with Cal now. Ray tells Josephine he's been fired and she starts screaming about who's going to pay for the food and who's going to pay for the $500 Betamax machine I just bought. Ray goes into the bathroom and throws the bloody clothes from his bag into the sink. He's trying to light them on fire, but he can't get the match lit with his wooden fingers. We've got to bring that gag back. Yeah. He finally gets it lit. Um, And then he opens the medicine cabinet to reveal there's a bright light shining from inside. So he crawls into it and ends up in a surreal nightmare world. Oh, man. Yeah. Back in the editing booth, Bella is going through film looking for something. And Ray is watching all of this from the other side of the screen of the editing booth. He sees a masked figure walk up behind Bella. He sees Bella. Or Bella sees the killer and recognizes who the killer is. They struggle and we see a a photo of Josephine nearby. And the masked figure stabs Bella's hand, then grabs a pair of scissors and stabs her with the scissors too. Oh man, yeah. And that effect where he stabbed, where she got stabbed in the hand was pretty good. Yeah, because it get it catches the hand and then he pulls it down. So it's like yeah, yeah. just just kind of splitting the the fingers. Oh man, I hate that. that, that yeah, he, like fucking that the whole knife near the eye thing is like creepy. Yeah. Also, like when they cut to that uh, nightmare world, it reminds me of like Stranger Things, you know, like the yes. under, uh, world. It's like that. It's like just weird stuff floating in the sky. Right. Kind of film reels, kind of doesn't. It's really good. Ray comes back to himself on the bathroom floor. Josephine's trying to put out the fire. Cut to the editing booth and Ray finds Bella's corpse. Uh, Giancarlo appears and Ray attacks him. Mancini and Cal come and break up the fight. And then Francesco Mancini throws Ray off the set. It's not going to be the first time he throws him off the set. Definitely not going to be the last time Ray comes back here. Next, we see Giancarlo editing the film and completely mangling it. Uh, it's It looks like... It's all tangled up on the film spool, and there's a tarantula on the screen. So he's got a book, and he's looking for where to make the cut in a scene when there's a tarantula. He completely he has no idea how to edit a movie. I mean, he's supposed to be an undercover cop, but he's trying to figure out how to edit a movie based on a book. It would be like if I watched a YouTube video on how to build a bridge when there was traffic waiting yeah or uh <laughs> it's like some guy at a missile silo in the army and he's got uh i don't know windows 95 for dummies and he's trying to like make 
blinking red light go away so we don't like just totally nuclear annihilate the entire planet yeah it's like that it's like homer simpson at the uh nuclear power plant it's like uh is that supposed to be blinking right <laughs> yeah well john carlos alone in a room so of course he thinks he hears something outside the room and he pulls his pistol to go investigate as he's creeping through here, his gun accidentally goes off and scares him, so he drops it. <laughs> <laughs> when he bends over to get it, we see the killer standing behind him. And when Giancarlo turns around, he sees the killer who immediately guts him and then rolls up his intestines on a film reel, then cuts the fingers off his right hand. Man. That was probably the best kill of the movie right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no doubt. Cut to Inspector Porphyry sitting in a church reading a newspaper as Ray leaves the church. The priest tells Inspector Porphyry that Ray isn't the guy he's after, and then he scolds Porphyry for believing the superstition about editors. When Porphyry says, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, the priest explains to him the superstition about editors and how they were once believed to be a bridge to the underworld. <laughs> so Porphyry mocks the priest and tells him, I don't want to hear your wizard speak. And this is the best joke in the whole movie about Porphyry uh, calling the priest a wizard because he's going to do it over and over again. And I loved it. It was hilarious. Yeah. The movie just gets weirder and weirder. Next, we're in a smoke-filled theater for the screening of the film. It's finally finished, apparently. And Cal is quietly fuming. Then we see Ray walking down a dirt road when a car starts chasing him. It's Cal driving the car. He stops and gets out, gets, gets out and gets a chainsaw out of the trunk to attack Ray. Ray doesn't believe his threats. There's another guy that we haven't seen before who is holding Ray from behind while Ray explains to Cal, you know, you're a terrible actor. Every time you deliver lines, you blink like crazy. So I don't believe you. <laughs> so Cal just punches Ray and leaves him in the street and drives off. Now, it hasn't happened at any other point in this movie. But from this point on, anytime you see clips of Cal in the movie, in, in the movie that the movie is about, he's going to be blinking like he's got something in his eyes. Yeah. And we see that in the very next scene. We see film footage of Cal blinking crazily as he delivers his lines. Then we see Ray in the editing booth with the projector shuts down. He gets up to investigate and gets sucked back into the nightmare world where he sees the ghost of Bella. Then we cut real quick to Cal and Jasmine at a Disney party with Porphyry. Cal tells Inspector Porphyry about threatening Ray for cutting him out of the movie. And Porphyry thinks Ray might have might have ties to the occult, he says. He thinks Cal needs to use Ray's wife to convince Ray to put him back in the movie. And Jasmine offers condolences for Marguerite's death, which makes Inspector Porphyry cry. And Cal goes, no, no, I, you're buying dinner. I told you not to do this. I told you if you do this, you're buying dinner. So you're paying for dinner now. <laughs> Next, we see Josephine at home reading a book on the occult while watching the videotape of Cal's performance. 
of course, she thinks she hears something. So she gets up to investigate it. And we zoom in on the book. It's titled Three Mothers by Lilith Samael, which is not a real book. But Lilith and Samael are the names of major demons in Jewish tradition. Yeah. Then we see Ray coming home. The living room has been completely trashed. The videotape is playing on a loop. It's a scene with Cal playing Ray, who is tied up and watching Cal playing Cal, having sex with Josephine. Ray takes the tape out of the machine, but the video keeps playing on the TV. So he grabs a pipe wrench and he smashes the TV. We get to see the video cassette look like it's breathing there at one point, too. Yeah, it's really like it looks like it reminds me of like video drone. Oh, yeah. It's like that. Like, just so weird. It's pulsating. And then like you got the weird shit happening on TV and like, oh, man, it's just awkward as fuck. Videodrome quite possibly the only David Cronenberg movie that I've watched on purpose, and I loved it. Oh, it's a great movie. It is that, a screwed up movie. That and The Brood, man. Like, if I try to get someone on the uh, David Cronenberg, those are the two I always pick. <laughs> then we see the masked figure standing behind Ray, and that masked person conks Ray on the head with a statuette. Next, we're outside at night. Cal has Ray tied up next to a campfire. Josephine is lying on the ground nearby. And Cal, just like in the videotape that we just saw, Cal makes Ray watch while he has sex with Josephine. And Josephine's fine with that. But then something changes, and it seems like Josephine's still having a good time, but Cal's in an awful lot of pain for some reason. He manages to get away from Josephine and starts to leave, but not before he walks over to Ray and says, sorry about that. <laughs> Damn. Yeah. Josephine is babbling drunkenly and confesses that she's not in love with Ray and she needs to go meet Cal so that she and Cal can go get married. Next day, Ray is hitchhiking. He returns to the apartment and sees Bella's ghost. So he follows her into that dream world while Inspector Porphyry is studying books on the occult in the library. In the dream world, Ray touches some black liquid that covers his hand and Bella starts screaming. Then we get a swipe transition to a scene lifted straight out of Videodrome. <laughs> we see a shadow of a hand on the back of the editing booth screen and then it just starts to stretch that screen and push out and ray busts through and climbs out of the editing booth screen with goo all over it. next we see cal and jasmine in their apartment cal wants forgiveness for something we cut to a tarantula crawling up inspector porphyry's leg at the library and then back to cal's bedroom where he's trying to have sex with jasmine but he can't get it going. So she asks him to talk about Peter Porphyry. And that gets him going, except he's now imagining having sex with Inspector Porphyry. Porphyry, meanwhile, has gone back to the church to talk to the wizard priest about some Latin book of the occult. He starts reciting the Latin words and his arm bursts into flames, which <laughs> the priest says, you're on fire. He says, what? That's just some flames. What are you worried about? <laughs> <laughs> He's a man after all. You know, you can handle that sort of thing. I, uh... The priest who the inspector insists on calling wizard 
says the book must be destroyed to save Porphyry's soul. Porphyry thinks this has something to do with Ray's involvement in the murders, but the wizard explains that Ray's a good guy who repaired the bell tower. And then he makes one last grab for the book. Then we see a split screen of Cal and Jasmine having sex and a black and white shot of somebody with a chainsaw. Then a figure enters the bedroom with the chainsaw and just saws right through Jasmine's shoulder while she's on top of Cal. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I got it. It's so just like out of left field and shit. Yep. And just the garden hose of blood. That scene where like the chainsaw comes up on him and it's like it's like on a track. And then like all of a sudden, yeah, yeah, goes shoulder and blood all over Kyle's the cow's face. It's just <laughs> slow-mo and shit. And just, oh my God. And then it goes after Cal and we see it cutting into the wall. It's a pretty cheap set because you can see the entire wall shaking as the chainsaw cuts through it. Yeah. Because, of course, they couldn't cut through a real wall. They had to put a fake wall up there to cut through. And yeah, they uh, they go through the mirror and stuff. It's like, here, this is a real chainsaw. This is for real. Really yep. happening. <laughs> well, next we see Porphyry with Ralphie. You see, while they were at dinner, Cal and Peter Porphyry made a date to go swimming together at the pier. And Inspector Porphyry has brought Ralphie with him to meet Cal. He's playing fetch with Ralphie, and Ralphie runs off into some brush. And as you know, it has to happen. The dog doesn't bring back the stick that was thrown. He brings back a severed hand with the fingers, <laughs> with the fingers cut off. Yeah. And Inspector Porphyry immediately knows that this is Cal. Cal has been killed. Next, we see Porphyry breaking into Ray's apartment to arrest him. He finds a book in the cold fireplace with blood and pictures of Cal in it. And we see flashbacks of Porphyry fishing Cal's corpse out of the river. Then, up in the fireplace, he finds a hidden film canister filled with severed fingers. Back at the studio, Ray has stolen a car and drives away and is immediately being chased by Inspector Porphyry. <laughs> Just out of nowhere was the chase scene so yes we get a chase scene down dirt roads which ends with a spectacular crash as ray drives off a cliff into a quarry and inspector porphyry follows him off the cliff into the quarry the car lands on its top completely smashing it but both guys are perfectly fine they manage to crawl out of the wreckage and porphyry has a gun aimed at ray ray runs and porphyry fires but misses him and we get a foot chase through the woods. Back at Francesco Mancini's house, he's feeding his pet tarantula. We've seen this tarantula in a lot of places through here. Turns out to be the director's pet. And Josephine shows up late for her date with Francesco Mancini. Then we see Inspector Porphyry running up outside the Mancini house. He intercepts Ray, who has an axe. Porphyry has to kill Ray in order to end the killings. And behind him is Josephine, and she's got blood all over her face because she has ripped off Francesco Mancini's head. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ray sees her moving towards Inspector Porphyry with a knife, so he charges at her with the axe. Porphyry thinks he's coming at him with the axe, so he shoots Ray and then gets stabbed in the back by Josephine. She, like, cuts his hand in twain. It's yeah. gross. 
We get an overhead shot of this scene, and off to the side, there's a flaming pentagram on the ground. Porphyry tries to shoot Josephine, but the gun misfires and blows the fingers off his hand. Oh, God, yeah. Well, Porphyry runs for a gas can while Josephine tells Ray to call her death from now on. Porphyry comes back and starts splashing gas on Josephine, and she thinks this is great fun. It's almost like a wet t-shirt party. Yeah. Ray tries to strike a match to light the gasoline, but those damned wooden fingers. Oh, God, yeah. That's when Inspector Porphyry tells him, you're a wooden man. So Ray sticks his wooden fingers in the fire, lights them on fire, and then grabs Josephine just before she stabs Porphyry. And we get to see Josephine dancing around on fire, and her face melts very quickly. It was a pretty good face melt, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, these guys, like, they're good at doing uh, effects on a budget, you know? Right. I mean, you just look at Psycho Gorman, and that movie looks awesome. (laughs) And Manborg. I mean, Manborg. I mean, everything in that, I mean, they made in their basement. Man, it looks great. Right. That whole movie was made on an $800 budget. Yeah, I love these guys, man. But that face scene, and like, just the body on fire, it looks great. Right. I mean, it's not like other bodies on fires and movies. There's just, it's like she's. I mean, entirely- they really lit her on fire. You can see a real thick layer of that, that fire gel. It's just a, like a clear gel that they put on and it'll burn, but it will not transfer heat to the person that it's on. And you can see a real thick layer of it and it's kind of dripping, but it adds to the effect and I like it. Yeah. Well, when it's all over and Josephine is a charred lump on the ground, Ray and Porphyry hug, and we get to wrap up a few loose ends. It turns out that Cal was the one who killed Cesare in order to get a better part in the film. Ray says he's going to go home and go to bed. Porphyry reminds him, hey, you've been shot. And Ray goes, oh, well, it's all in a day's work. Back at the police station, Porphyry is informing the chief that he's going to take some time off. But first, the chief tells him, you've got to talk to the staff doctor, Dr. Cassini. He was at the mental asylum. Now he's a staff doctor at the the police force. And this seems to surprise Inspector Porphyry as well. Yeah. But apparently it's standard procedure. Anytime you kill somebody, you got to talk to the staff doctor. Porphyry says he never thought Josephine would be capable of murder, and a few good slaps from her husband should have fixed that. And then some weird stuff happened. First of all, the chief reminds Porphyry that Josephine wasn't married. And when when Porphyry says, well, yeah, she was married to the editor, the chief goes, look, you got to stop telling me this crazy stuff. You got to tell the doctor that. And Porphyry says, well, you can't talk to your top inspector that way. He says, my top inspector, you mean Giancarlo? I love that guy. It turns out Giancarlo is the inspector. Porphyry is just a beat cop, basically. And Dr. Cassini and the nurse, which looks an awful lot like Marguerite, enter. And Porphyry starts freaking out, saying that they're all dead. And he runs out screaming, I'm the inspector. He runs all the way to the church, demanding that the wizard let him talk to the editor. Priest doesn't know what he's talking about. And Porphyry says, you told me he fixed the bell tower. And the priest says, well, that bell hasn't rung in over a hundred years. Dun, dun, dun. Up in the bell tower, Porphyry sees red light shining through a crack in the wall. 
He tears the bricks down to find a space behind it containing a skull and film canisters. And he opens up the film canisters and starts looking at the film. And it shows Inspector Porphyry screaming in this very moment. Then we zoom out to see this scene on the screen of the editing booth. A black-gloved hand switches off the editing booth and roll credits. Was any of this real? Dun, dun, dun. This was a crazy movie. Yeah. Well, that's fun, guys, man. Oh, yeah. You know, going in, you knew this was going to be like your average walk in the park. It was going to be weird. So, here's the film. All right. It's a murder mystery, but there's a twist. It's an occult film, but there's a twist. It's yeah. a psychological thriller, but there's a twist. It's actually a horror film. But there's another twist because it's funnier than like a, I don't know, Zucker Brothers movie. <laughs> yeah, definitely has kind of a Kentucky Fried movie feel to it. Yeah, like in the background and foreground of every scene, you know, there's a joke hidden somewhere. Right. Anytime you're on the set, there's naked people. Sometimes there are people who aren't naked who just stand in frame and get naked. Uh, I love it when they first get the uh, the Betamax camcorder and dude's yeah. like just fucking around and like pulling the tape apart. <laughs> <laughs> like they're having a serious discussion about like murdered people on the set, but like he's just like in this, the films going everywhere and he's like, right. just put it back in the camera and shit. Yep. Oh, man. It was a fun movie. It was a it bit is. of a job to watch it, but it was a fun movie. Yeah, because it, it, it gets too moody and they try to be too much like an Italian horror movie and then it gets kind of like sluggish, but then right. like something crazy out of nowhere, like that chick's face comes off or... Uh... <laughs> oh, man. When I love like... that gag. That was one of the best gags in the whole thing. When he's making love to his uh, blind wife. Yeah. And afterwards, they're just like laying there, kind of cuddled. Above them is a uh, a painting of them, and she's blind in the painting. Yes, it's like, <laughs> what the fuck, man? It's crazy. All right, man. I think that's a podcast. Oh yeah. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun making it. Be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you hear us. You can follow CDF Pod on Facebook and Instagram or at CDF underscore pod on Twitter. You can also visit our website at CDFPod.com. And don't forget you can help us make donations to film schools all across the country by going to Patreon.com slash CDFPod. Join us next time as we explore another movie so awesome it probably shouldn't have been made. Oh,